This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk podcast. That's what we call it here. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. Every now and then you forget the name of the podcast you're doing. Uh, thanks, you guys, for joining us. We're going to do some questions. Got some good questions from the tech subscribers. This, Stephen, we're kind of in the last throes of the offseason because a week from now, uh, we will be getting ready to leave for Indianapolis for the Big Ten meetings. We will have our preseason Big Ten survey of Big Ten writers. We'll be out a week from now from Cleveland.com, the unofficial official survey of the pre, uh, pre-Big Ten season. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're kind of winding down here. We're a little bit. We're kind of we're at the point, Stephen, where if you're people are asking questions and of course you, you're curious about this stuff, guys. But like, hey, what do you think is going to happen with, you know, who's going to be the third leading receiver beyond Olave and Wilson or whatever? And it's like we've been getting we don't have any new information on that other than what we saw in the spring game. And like we're about to get new information on that. So like that's a great question to ask Ryan Day. <laughs> Like next week in Indianapolis, who do you think, or there's going to be a lot of football stuff. We're going to learn in Indy. We'll at least be able to ask about, we'll learn more about the other teams. And then we're going to get into camp a little bit after that. And then we'll really start learning stuff more again. So I'm a little reluctant, Stephen, to pull the trigger on too many questions that are just about like how this season is going to go. Cause we haven't had any new information on that in three months and we're about to get it. So we have a couple questions like that today, but we're going a little more big picture. Cause you know, I don't know what we think today. Isn't much different than what we thought on May 1st. Yeah. It's, I mean, nothing's changed. Uh, obviously there's maybe a, a couple of guys we're waiting for them to officially say whether or not they're Buckeyes or not. JTT is now on campus and is participating in everything that he's supposed to be participating in. So at this point, whatever you thought coming out of the spring game can't really change until Ryan day has said other or a player that we talked to next week has said otherwise. So we want to direct you back again. This is the Wednesday pod, the Monday pod, Stephen and I went over who the next commitments probably going to be. And then the Tuesday pod, Mike Lewis, the man who wrote the theme song for Buckeye talk joined me. And I should have had this at the time. And I just wanted to note this, the first podcast, Stephen, uh, the theme song barely beat you to the podcast. The first episode that the theme song appeared on, was episode 157 on September 19th, 2018. It was entitled, How Many Future First Round NFL Draft Picks Are on Ohio State's Roster? Previous to that, we had the and then we got the song from Mike. So I wanted to have that information, but of course, I don't have information at my fingertips when I need it. So I should have said that Tuesday and I didn't. But again, thanks to Mike Lewis for joining us on that. Thanks. Um, I think you guys, I hope you listened to it. 
He's he's so great, gracious to us, and I, I hope you give that one a listen. The other thing, Stephen, I, we want to touch on for ten seconds. Uh, Terrell Pryor. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning. Terrell Pryor put out a statement on behalf of the Tattoo Five, which is, I guess, the official name that they're okay with calling themselves because they called it that in this statement they put out, mm-hmm. saying they want their records reinstated. Um, Terrell Pryor put that out, co-signed by Mike Adams, Boom Hair, and Devere Posey and Solomon Thomas. We, I previously had planned a big Terrell Pryor episode for Buckeye Fly Effect on Friday. We're going to save most of this discussion for that. It is a little bit of a complicated issue. Uh, I did confirm it with Ohio State, Stephen. It's that would they would they said that would come from the NCAA. Ohio State can't reinstate those records unilaterally. So the NCAA, I, I think a lot of people are going to end up putting this on the NCAA, Stephen. Um, the Heisman Trust, in regards to Reggie Bush getting his Heisman back, said, "Hey, if the NCAA reinstates his records." Then we'll give them the Heisman. I think Ohio State basically would say, this, hey, if the NCAA says it's okay, we'll reinstate those records. I think that's where we're going to end up with all this stuff, Stephen. And so I don't want to get into it too much now, but I guess just on the surface, I could envision a day where the NCAA says, hey, anybody who had a violation and was sanctioned for something that would now be permissible under NIL rules, we're giving you all your records back. That, I think the NCAA, it might take some pressure and accumulation. Reggie Bush is the most high-profile one because that guy lost a Heisman over it. This Ohio State situation is probably the next most high-profile one. Fab Five, right, would be another mm-hmm. high-profile thing. They actually probably are more, or maybe even more high-profile than Ohio State. I do think there is a distinction. If you had anything where somebody affiliated with a school was giving money to a player, that's still not allowed. So it would have to be stuff that was all outside. And there are some complicating factors, but I think we might get there where the NCAA eventually does a sweeping judgment like that, Stephen, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. How do you think that might unfold? I think until that happens, just every other month, you're going to see whoever was a high profile situation like this, like you mentioned, Reggie Bush, Fab Five, Ohio State, the list goes on and on of people uh, who maybe were in this similar situation you'll just see somebody come out and say, well, I want that back or I want this back or this group will say that. I think anybody outside of maybe SMU when they got the death penalty, because there was so much more going on with that. Everybody else may just have their turn over the next maybe year and a half, two years, however long it takes of being in the forefront of saying, oh, this would have been okay today. So can we get our records back? And yeah, it'll get to a point where the NCAA is just like, everybody's getting their stuff back because it's just too much to deal with. And it, it just seems unnecessary to keep holding people's records at this point when it's something that's allowed today. The records are a relatively minor component of it. I think because you suffered already, right? You, you mm-hmm. were suspended. Um, you couldn't play. You had your career shortened. Jim Trestle lost his job, like all those things that you can't take away the records. And I do think it's better for the sport, better for fans, better for everybody for records to reflect what actually happened on the field. I think it's always been kind of weird. Um, but I know uh, somebody, a, a, a former NCAA compliance person who's very active on Twitter made that point today that a lot of times people say, oh, that stuff doesn't matter anyway. Who cares about the vacated records? And it's like, well, if it didn't matter, like Terrell Pryor and DeVere Posey and those guys wouldn't be asking for them back. So it does matter. And then like Chim D. Chekwa t- chimed in on Twitter today. Like he was on that 2010 team that had all their wins vacated. He didn't, he wasn't involved with this at all, but he's part of those wins that are wiped out. Right. So that's like, it does matter to people. And 
You know, Devere Posey and Dan Heron and Terrell Pryor would all move up the lists of career stats for Ohio yeah. State. When you talk about the winningest all-time programs in college football history, you'd add 12 wins back to Ohio State. I remember when Jim Tressel got his 100th win at Ohio State and they brought a cake out in the post-game news conference. And if you look at Jim Tressel's official record, he no longer has 100 wins as Ohio State's coach. Like That kind of stuff just matters. And when you reference it, I mean, I've referenced it enough times over the years. Oh, no quarterback has done this since whatever. Well, actually, Terrell Pryor did it, but it doesn't count because mm-hmm. his records are vacated, right? So, I mean, there's just stuff like that that we saw it with our eyeballs that did happen. So the last part of it, and then we'll move on, is a, there are NIL rules. The NCAA said, do what you want. The state, individual states then have NIL rules. But schools also still have a say in NIL rules and the Mm -hmm. individual rules for Ohio State. And I know Michigan has the same thing. I'm assuming other schools have the same thing. You're not allowed to sell stuff given to you by the team. That is still not permissible. So part of that is they don't want every Ohio State player to turn into a Nike outlet shop out of their dorm room. Like, hey, we got we got new shorts. We got new shoes. Everybody gets issued this. And now I'm selling it. They don't want that. But that also pertains to championship rings. That pertains to gold pants. That is stuff given to the... Now, again, verbs matter. Is, it, are, is that stuff given to the players by the university? Or do the players earn that? Well, they don't have to buy you a ring for winning a championship, right? So, I mean, like the school does... So you can dispute whether that rule by Ohio state is fair, but that's still the rule. So there is a point there. So the point is, if you're saying, well, they changed the rules, they broke rules and those things are now allowed. That is a part of it that is still not allowed. So that's a little dicey. And we're saying, hell, all they, uh, Hey, all they did was sell memorabilia. It's like, well, you still can't sell memorabilia. Now, if you did autographs or whatever, like that's, that's allowed. So it's just a little complicated, Steven. It's not going to happen overnight. But the NCAA usually gives into pressure. And so I could imagine 18 months from now, as you said, stuff keeps popping up and Nancy finally gives on this. But I will be curious. I don't know that Ohio State's going to budge on this memorabilia thing because for the reasons I just said, and that's a little bit of a wrinkle in this. The memorabilia is hard because I think you can separate selling your championship ring, which you're right. They don't have to do that. That's an extra perk versus we were at, the facility and I just got some t-shirts that said Ohio state football and I sold them to my friends that I think that's a very fine line there. And maybe you, maybe that's where you get detailed with it. And you have to, you know, when you're talking about selling memorabilia, you have to describe what's the difference there, because that's two different levels of, of financial situations you're talking about. You could sell a ring for a hundred thousand dollars. You're not selling a t-shirt that says Ohio state football on it for a hundred thousand dollars, unless you put your autograph on it, obviously, but that's where I, the details of this, obviously the NIL thing is worked out, but some of these smaller details are still, I feel like going to still need to be figured out over the next couple of years. And maybe sometimes it just takes somebody to break a rule for us to realize maybe this rule shouldn't exist. Yeah. No, unfortunately that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if Reggie Bush and the tattoo five and the fab five had not been punished for these things, I think their punishments and then people reflecting on those punishments helped us get to NIL. You know, that it it helped prove that there was kind of a problem and there were people who were hurt by this in a direct way. So anyway, we're going to get into that Friday because the Buckeye fly effect is going to be what if what if Terrell Pryor had not come to Ohio State? And then we have to talk about um, this situation. So that's a complicated discussion. I'll just tell you, 
Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch, who uh, was not working for the Dispatch, but was working for another Ohio State outlet back then and covered the Terrell prior recruitment very, uh, very well, very expansively. Um, as did I. I was the I, that was the recruitment I covered more than any recruitment I've covered here in 15 years. And I think I've told you the story before when Adam and I met uh, after Terrell. We had lunch and Terrell committed to Ohio State, and we said, you know, we should maybe prepare to write a book on this because we think something big is going to happen one way or the other. And so Adam and I are going to talk it out. What if he hadn't come? How could this have played out differently? What do we remember about the recruitment? And, and what would an NIL world have changed? Obviously, it would have changed a lot. So that's going to be the Friday pod, which is why we're not going to do a ton, a ton of it now. Last little bit of housekeeping. Um, again, if you guys want to be tech subscribers, you can send it to, uh, not send it, you can send a text to 614-350-3315. And it's getting geared up. We saw a couple people tick up. Uh, we always can track how many people are subscribing because it's coming again next week at Big Ten Media Days. That'll be a good time to be a tech subscriber. So 14 day free trial. If you've never done it, do it now. See what you think. Uh, if you if you did it once and, and stopped, completely understandable. But here comes the season again. So get ready to try it again. 614-350-3315. And this is our Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Uh, the National College Football Podcast that I've started uh, dropped today, dropped Wednesday. The first episode, it's a debut episode with Mia Shahan Jeharaja. Uh, it's called the College Football Playoff Show. I know it is in feeds. You can subscribe wherever you are subscribed to Buckeye Talk. You can now get subscribed to the College Football Playoff Show in the same spot. We're going to be doing two a week. One is a full pod. One is a Q&A pod. There's a $1 a month tech subscription that's part of that where you can do uh, respond to surveys, ask us questions. We'll send little tidbits there. You guys know the deal on that. Uh, man, and I don't have that. I don't have the phone number right in front of me. But listen, just listen. To, I don't have that one memorized yet. I got too much stuff rattling around in this skull of mine. So anyway, the bottom line is, if you've been looking, we, we delayed it a week because, as I told you, I screwed up the audio. But the first episode is, should Texas A&M join the college football playoff discussion that already includes, as always, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. We discuss Texas A&M and do they deserve to join that group for the discussion. And then we rank all the teams in the discussion on who has the easiest path to the playoff. And so that's how we're going to do it each week. Texas A&M is the first one. That's the college football playoff show. And that's a lot of log rolling. Okay. Let's get to the questions from the tech subscribers. And, and actually, I'm going to do this, Stephen, because this was a question that was asked that I did in a Hey Buckeye talk on Cleveland.com on Sunday, where we answer questions there. Sometimes we answer questions directly to texters and respond to them. And then every now and then we do a rapid fire. The gist of the question was this, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it was basically, did Ohio State make a mistake by hiring Kerry Combs as their defensive coordinator before last season instead of Marcus Freeman. And now that is asked with the assumption that they could have gotten Marcus Freeman if they would have offered it. And I liked Marcus Freeman when Jeff Halfley left. I liked the idea of that. It was not a perfect fit because Halfley was a secondary guy. Combs is a secondary guy. Freeman is not. He's a linebackers coach. You already have a guy who's a really good linebackers coach and recruiter in Al Washington. You would have had to figure that out. That certainly wouldn't have been a complicating factor. But I guess if you just were going to say, if at the time you would have said, listen, Marcus is just going to be the coordinator and we're just, we're just going to move Matt Barnes full time to secondary, which is basically what they did now, right? Then you could have done that a year ago. 
And Marcus just would have been your defensive coordinator. I don't know if Marcus was asked. I don't know if Marcus would have come when he was given the, the coordinator title at Notre Dame. He went. So he left Cincinnati to be the full coordinator at Notre Dame. That makes you think he would have left to be the full coordinator at Ohio State. But also a year ago, they still had Greg Madison around with a co-title. So I don't know how that would have affected things. So it's not a perfect fit, Stephen. But I think it's fair to operate under the assumption of if Ryan Day would have said, that's the guy I want. I want Marcus Freeman. We'll make it work. Marcus will give you whatever title and whatever money you need to come here. And then we will figure it out. If we need to have Al Washington coach the secondary for a year or something, we'll do it. But we'll figure it out. We can probably figure out a way where you're the coordinator and we have Matt Barnes and, and Larry Johnson and now Washington holding down the position groups. If it would, that scenario, would that have been better than hiring Kerry Combs and what they had now? And I will say, I'm going to, I don't want to put you on the spot. And then I do this sometimes. We all know this. I put you and Nathan on the spot. And then when it's my turn, I say, I don't know. So I will say that my answer was, I think either is fine. And I don't know that one is absolutely better than the other. And I think we'll find out more about that this year. But what are your thoughts? And if you want to say that, that is a completely acceptable answer, because I don't think Kerry Combs is a wrong answer here. I don't think hiring Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator was a wrong move. I do not. I, I do not in any way. And now and I'm not saying I'm best friends with anybody, but I, I like Kerry personally. I like Marcus personally. I know them both a little bit. They're both good people that Ohio State would want associated with their program. What do you think? I've talked a lot. Yeah, it's it's such a cop out answer, but it's the right answer. I know I would say they wouldn't be better if they have hired Mar Marcus Freeman over Kerry Combs because Kerry Combs is a secondary guy. And you knew that was going to be the questionable thing going into the 2020 season, both from a recruiting standpoint, how that had fallen off. But then also you're replacing a three year starter at free safety and two first round corners. And then the guy you thought was maybe a first round corner was changing positions from slot to cornerback. So you needed, because of all those facets, you needed a guy who was a renowned and known cornerback, defensive back developer, but then also could write the ship from a recruiting standpoint in the secondary. So I think you needed to go carry Combs in that route. I think what would have been interesting is, and I can't remember off of the top of my head who what happened first. Was Marcus Freeman already at Notre Dame, or did the Al Washington situation with Tennessee, you know, start happening before Marcus Freeman went to Notre left Cincinnati? That's where things get interesting is, is if Al Washington would have left after the season, would Marcus Freeman just be on Ohio State staff as the linebackers coach right now? Because really the only difference, because they didn't bring in, you know, Marcus Freeman, they brought in Kerry Combs is your secondary recruiting got better. Obviously, I mean, they're bringing in top 105 star guys as normal again. But then the only difference is maybe Brendan Vernon's committed to Ohio State instead of Notre Dame right now. That's the only difference. And I think I say I take the three or four top 100 secondary guys over the one five star defensive end, especially given what Larry Johnson just did in 2021. So you can't have both. So you can't have right. Marcus Freeman and Kerry Combs because they're too good. They are both at the level of running a defense. They have both proven themselves as position coaches. They have both proven themselves as leaders, as teachers, as motivators, and especially as recruiters. Marcus ran a defense for, I guess, four years at Cincinnati. He had been a co-coordinator at Purdue, but sometimes that co-title, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, he's so young, but he had been running the defense at Cincinnati. So you can't have both. So it has to be one or the other. Marcus Freeman wouldn't come to Ohio State 
to be a position coach. He was only going to come to run the defense, call the defense. And the thing that I think is fair in this. So uh, basically we're comparing them in a lot of ways, I think as recruiters, right? Because, and they both get it done. They both absolutely get it done on the recruiting trail and the way Marcus Freeman has recruited at Cincinnati and what he's doing now at Notre Dame. If you unleashed him at Ohio state, he'd be awesome. He would be, but guess what? Kerry Combs is awesome. Kerry Combs is as good as it gets um, in drawing in talent in the secondary. So I think the distinction here, since you can't have both, it just comes down to who's going to call a better defense. Who's going to be a better coordinator. And I don't think we know that yet because even though Marcus has done it more, he's run a variety of defenses. I guess he ran like a three, three, five at Cincinnati in kind of that high scoring league. He's run other off uh, other defenses at Purdue. But he always, not at Purdue, but at Cincinnati, when he's calling that defense, he's doing it for a defensive head coach in Luke. He and Luke are like brothers. Obviously, Luke was his position coach at Ohio State. They're like brothers. And so Marcus was the defensive coordinator, but Luke's right there and Luke's a defensive guy. So now Marcus is going to go run a defense on his own without his brother beside him, and we'll get to know about him a little bit more. And then Kerry ran a defense for the first time last year in a pandemic, in a tough situation, when Ohio State didn't have the talent it normally does. And we're going to get a read on what, how Kerry runs a defense when they're getting back in more of a normal season and more of a normal talent level. So I think we'll have a better answer. Maybe we'll have an answer to this question by the end of this year. Oh, man, one of those guys just really runs a defense better than the other. And Ohio State would be better off with that guy. It might be Kerry, it might be Marcus, or it might be so close you'd take either of them. I do think it's probably... I think Ohio State probably has missed the boat on Marcus Freeman. And listen, you don't have to hire every former Buckeye to be on your staff. But Marcus is now at the point. Marcus is not going to come here, I don't think, to be the defensive coordinator. Marcus is next step from Notre Dame defensive coordinator's head coach. He's either going to be the head coach at Cincinnati when Luke takes the next job. Or as we talked, Nathan and I talked about on the coach ranking podcast, Marcus Freeman might be Notre Dame's head coach in like three years. This guy's a fast riser. So I think the only thing that Marcus would be is if Marcus sets himself up in a situation where Marcus is the guy who succeeds Ryan day because Marcus Ryan day leaves in eight years. And Marcus has been a head coach for four years by then, wherever he's been. And now it's like, well, let's get that guy. Right. But I think, I think the idea of Marcus Freeman being an assistant coach at Ohio state is, is over unless you, and I don't, I don't know how to say this, like unless you catch him on the way down, right? Unless he does something where he is a head coach and he doesn't succeed and he gets fired. Now he's back in the assistant rank and he lands at Ohio State. But that's fine. I understand the question. I think it's a great question, but I think it goes back to most of the conversations we have around Kerry Combs in this defense, Stephen, relate to the idea of how did you take last year? Was that an indication that, hey, maybe Kerry is not a great coordinator or is it just like weird year, talent dip, Let's see what happens. He's going to be fine. I'm more on the second more. Not that I'm sure he's going to be a great play caller on defense more on the idea of, I don't think we can tell from last year, which is where I am. But I think some people are certainly taking last year into account. Yeah. For what it's worth, Marcus Freeman is still working for a defensive head coach and Brian Kelly. Now that's, I mean, that's a guy who's a defensive minded guy. I think we're going to get a real sense with Kerry Combs now, because quite frankly, last year he didn't have any options. They had to kind of keep things simple and play the same four or five guys in the secondary unless somebody caught COVID. Now all of a sudden you're scrambling to play a true freshman who showed up in June and didn't even didn't even have any type of spring practice, let alone the small amount that those 15 early enrollees did last year. So now he's got options. He can get creative and having a more normal you know setting of 
play calling, we can find out how good he is. While with Marcus Freeman, he's moving up a level. He's now at a school where the expectation is playoff. That's what you're playing. That's what you're game planning for. You're game planning for playoff level offenses now. So we're going to see, is he that level of a defensive coordinator? Cause he's already showed it at the group of five level. And by the way, condolences uh, to Kerry Combs who tweeted yeah. on Tuesday that his father passed away. Um, so best uh, to the Combs family. That's a great family. And we'll mention, I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast, just a terrible uh, situation. G Scott jr. The Ohio yeah. state receiver uh, put on Instagram that his mother passed away this week. So, our thoughts uh, and best wishes with uh, G Scott and his dad and their family over that uh, very, very sad loss. Okay. Let's continue with Kerry Combs. We have a question from the two, six, seven. It's our friend, Dave in Bristol. What do you see as the future coaching progressions of Brian Hartline and Kerry Combs? Do you think either has the goal of being a head coach someday? I can see Combs being content as a career coordinator. He doesn't seem to have the calmer, more analytical head coach mindset. Cincinnati is the only school I could see him trying out as a head coach. I think Hartline is a different story. Could you see him as kind of an apprentice today where he teaches him the ropes while gradually promoting him to offensive coordinator with the intention of taking over as head coach when and if Day moves on to the NFL? Hartline has gotten off to such a hot start. You'd think they will need to have some kind of plan like this in order to keep him much longer. What are your thoughts? Um. Let's take those one at a time since they are separate questions. I think Kerry could be a head coach. And I think the idea of like that he has a certain personality and he's happy as a coordinator. This guy ran a program that was a high school program, but he was one of the best high school coaches in the state of Ohio. And so he is a leader. He has a specific leadership style, but I think that would translate. And I do think Whenever Luke Fickle moves on from Cincinnati, like if if Marcus Freeman is not the next Cincinnati head coach, I absolutely think it could be Kerry Combs. I think that would be a good hire for them. I think it would be good for Kerry. I think he's a good fit. And I think a lot of times we can underestimate assistant coaches and think that they're happy being what they are just because they're good at it. And I don't want to do that to Kerry. I've thought that, I mean, if I was a Mac school needing an injection of energy, but competence and recruiting and, and leadership, I would hire Kerry Combs tomorrow. But I think that might be beneath Kerry at this point, you know, that he's been, he's been an NFL assistant, like, Oh, Kent state's a mess. Kerry Combs come save us. Like, I don't, I don't think he would do that. I I, I don't think that's worth it, but I think I think my guess, I haven't talked to him about it. My guess is he probably would take Cincinnati And I think that could fit. So I just think we need to be careful about sort of short shorting people on their dreams, Stephen, because we view them in a certain way. But and Carrie, again, Carrie is not as old as you think. He just has white hair. So (laughs) so he's not 70. Right. He's just but he has the energy of a 35 year old. Mm -hmm. So I still think it might only be Cincinnati. But like if Mark Stoops moved on from. Kentucky, like, would you look that. at would you look at Kerry Combs if you were Kentucky? I would. I think Cincinnati's just too perfect, and we're always going to throw that one out there. Kentucky works as well because he could do exactly what Mark Stoops is doing at Kentucky right now. He could do exactly what Luke Fickle is doing at Cincinnati right now. I think there's a lower level Big Ten school who could, for the sake of what Tom Allen is doing at Indiana right now, I don't know if he's going to. He wouldn't do it at that level, but I think if you put him at Purdue or, you know, I don't, I don't know, a Nebraska or something like that. One of these lower – Nebraska shouldn't be a lower-level Big Ten school, but they are. 
one of those lower levels where he's just this injection of energy and maybe he gets something rolling for five or seven years. And all of a sudden, and maybe he's not the coach that gets you over the hump, but he's a coach that to take it from an Ohio state perspective, Jim Trestle rewrited the ship at Ohio state and then urban Meyer took it to a next level. And now we have Ryan day, maybe Kerry Combs to a lower extent is for Nebraska or Purdue, the Jim Trestle of that program where he kind of rewrites some things there. And then you bring in the guy on top of that, who ends up really changing the program. I mean, we never thought that Kerry Combs would take a job with the Tennessee Titans and he did. Right. Right. That was a moment. I think we sold him short. And then we were like, what? So I think Purdue, I think Minnesota, like if PJ Fleck moved on, you know, if Jeff Brom is not not it, I think Kerry Combs could make a lot of sense for either of them. Let's not, let's not sell him short. Brian Hartline. And this, let, let me, let me now bring in another question because we're getting some assistant coach questions here. Let me bring in a Kevin Wilson question from the 615. Kevin Wilson feels like one of the less talked about coaches on the Buckeye staff. I know he has been an offensive genius for some time. I have wondered if he left, how much would anything really change for better or worse? I don't have a strong sense of how much he truly brings to the table. If he left, would it be felt for better or worse? Someone could someone new come in and have a bigger impact in recruiting or coaching. So I do think Brian Hartline and Kevin Wilson are related in some ways. As long as Kevin Wilson's here, it's going to be hard for Ryan day to give Brian Hartline. I think more responsibility with the offensive play calling Um, Ryan day is always going to be the guy who runs the show. But I do think in the next couple of years, it's possible that like Ryan Day gives up play calling to somebody that he trusts when a guy wants to be an offensive coordinator. There's one thing being a court. The difference of your being a coordinator who calls plays and who doesn't call plays is night and day. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan Day is calling the plays right now. I could see a world where like in three years, Kevin Wilson is off being a head coach somewhere. And like Brian Hartline is calling plays for Ohio State because that's how they keep him. And Ryan Day, by that point, is like, this is how we play offense. Everybody knows it. Brian, you can call the shots. I'm going to have veto power. I'm on the headset with you. But I'm not going to worry about the nitty gritty of every game plan the way I am now. Lots of head coaches step away from that play calling duty. But I do think at some point, Stephen, Brian Hartline's going to want more than what he is right now, which is one of the best position coaches at receiver in the country and one of the best recruiters in the country. And I just think as long as Kevin Wilson is here, it's going to be hard to do that. I think you're right. I think we find out what Brian Hartline's ceiling is here when Kevin Wilson leaves, because what the, who does he, who does Ryan day replace Kevin Wilson with on the staff? Is it a guy who is a respected and kind of well-known play caller, or is that an opportunity as you just already pointed out with Brian Hartline, where you see him move up and be elevated into that role um, depending on what he does, I think is how we'll start to look at Brian Hartline of, okay, maybe Brian Hartline's got two or three years left here because Brian Day went out and got Bob Stewart, who was on Oklahoma staff calling plays, and now he's at Ohio State. That's not a real person, by the way, but to the point of what I'm making is, and then Brian Hartline can look around and go, okay, there's not much more for me to be able to do here, and he's way too young and way too great to just be like the next Larry Johnson where his ceiling is just going to be he's a defensive line coach, he's just a wide receiver coach. No, that's when we find out. What does Ryan Day do when Kevin Wilson finally leaves? And and then, we'll, then we can look at both Corey Dennis and Brian Hartline. Corey Dennis, obviously, to a lesser extent, but still, those are two offensive guys who are who are the guys in charge of the most important position groups on the offensive side of the ball for giving what this offense wants to do. What happens when Kevin Wilson leaves? Brian Hartline is still a young man on his Instagram over the weekend. He like had a video up there of like him climbing a tree that just like he just like climbed the yeah. side of a tree like Spider Man, and then he was like forty feet in the air, and I was like. 
is that what your receiver coach doing? But he is a young dad with young kids. I think family stuff always matters with this. Um, he goes on long bike rides. If you follow Brian Hartline on Twitter, every now and then he'll be like, went on a 64 mile bike ride this morning. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's an intense guy. It's why are you, why are you doing that? But it's I fun think watching him over the summer at these camps, like teach kids and he does the drills better than the kids do it. And then when they don't do it as well, he's just like, Nope, it's not good enough. Ah, ah next, get out the line. He's kind of a mean coach, but I'm sure that I mean, it works. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they love it, but it's just it's funny to watch. So I don't know what he wants to do. I could see him absolutely getting to the NFL. I mean, someone, you know, he could he could make a jump as an NFL receivers coach tomorrow. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he'd rather do that or if he'd rather do like coordinator in college. You know, he's a Buckeye. And again, we can't underestimate people. It's like Luke stayed here a long time. I do think there could be a path like that for Brian Hartline. Luke Luke Fickle was here for like 15 years. So I think Brian Hartline could do that and be like, well, why like why would I go be like the offensive coordinator at Virginia tech or why would I go be the offensive coordinator at Washington state? Just cause like, I'm trying to move up. Like, I'm just going to stay here. And then, you know, if I don't know, Pitt wants me to be their head coach in eight years. Okay. Maybe I'll do that. Right. But like, I don't know that he's going to chase mid tier jumps when Ohio state does, I think provide him what he wants, which is a good place to coach and a good place to raise his family and the family stuff matters. So I, so I do think there's a Luke path for him and Luke was really picky and Luke was really patient and it worked like, look at how well it worked for Luke. Right. I mean, it really is going to work for Luke. I do think that's, I don't think we should assume that again, you don't want to sell a guy short, but I could, I could definitely envision that. For Brian Hartline. You were here, so you would know, obviously. Do you think Luke Fickle's first head coaching job would have been Cincinnati if that 2011 season didn't happen, even with it being as chaotic as it was? Him at least having some level of experience, does he start off at Cincinnati as a head coach? Yeah, because I, I do. I do. I, I don't. I almost think that year might have set him back a little bit. I mean, he okay. wanted the Cincinnati job the time before that he actually mm-hmm. got it. And while he was biding his time, I think he wound up biding his time a little longer than he ideally would have hoped. But I think he always was looking for a cultural geographical fit, moving not too far away from family always mattered. And it's like, hey, Cincinnati, the grandparents can still come see their grandkids very easily, as opposed to if I'm going to be the head coach at Texas Tech or whatever. Right. So I do think Luke was looking for geographical, cultural family fits. And I don't think I think he would have been he would have been ready to be a full time head coach, you know, four or five years before it happened, but he, but he was waiting. He was waiting, waiting for the right thing. And I think he did have interest in the pit job before that and some other places. I just, I just could see that for Brian, but I also could see Brian being like, you know what? Like the Washington football team called and they want me to be the receivers coach. And like, I think I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's no answer. We don't know, but I do think Luke, like was a coordinator, but like he was always a co-coordinator here. So I do think Ryan Day can devise a way maybe to give Brian Hartline more responsibility without Brian Hartline being like, if I'm not calling every single play, I'm out of here. Like, I don't think it'll come to that, even kind of what they did with Al Washington to get Al Washington to stay. Mm -hmm. But I think that the fact that this is that Brian Hartline's an Ohio guy went to Ohio state factors in. So, and then Kevin Wilson, I think Kevin Wilson is important. I do think there's usually guys on staff 
I think Urban Meyer would always talk like everybody's got to recruit, right? Like the number one thing for every assistant coach is they've got to recruit. I don't know that that's actually true. I actually think that needs to be the case for like seven or eight of your assistants where like they're recruiters first and everything else second. I do think it's okay to have one or two guys on your staff, especially on a 10 man staff instead of a nine man staff where it's like, well, you know, Kevin Wilson doesn't necessarily have to go out and pull in the best tight end in the country every year. Cause they call him the tight ends coach. He's really not the tight ends coach. He's out coaching <laughs> tackles, coach. <laughs> coaching tackles half the time in practice. Yeah. Like he's moving around. He's a, he's a guy who knows quarterbacks. He's been a coordinator. He was one of the best offensive coordinators in college football. So he can coach any position group, but I think he's Ryan day's backup. I think he's very Ryan day. He makes things I think comfortable for Ryan day that they work well together I think Kevin Kevin does want to be a head coach again. I'm sure of that. But yet he has this issue with the way he left Indiana that's going to hang over him a little bit. And so I don't think he I don't think he would be able to jump necessarily to a Minnesota or Purdue job right away, the way that maybe like Kerry Combs or Brian Hartline eventually could. I think I think if Kevin wants to get back in the head coaching game, he's going to have to do an intermediate step and he's going to have to go coach. I don't know if it's a Mac school necessarily, but like East Carolina or yeah. something like that or 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 somebody that's like, you know, Tulsa or something that like is a good program, but it's not a power five program. So I think Kevin's in a little bit of a weird spot. He's a really good offensive mind. Every year he gets further away from what happened at Indiana, but he's still going to be asked about that in every job interview. Um, but I think Ohio State would be okay without him. I, I don't want to underestimate his importance, but the thing he does best is run an offense. And that also happens to be the thing that your head coach does best. So I, I think they would survive without him. And I do think Brian Hartline and Kevin Wilson, their futures in some way are connected. It was most, his most important year in the Ryan day era was going to be year one. While Ryan day is also trying to work through his first time being an official head coach and going through all those you know hoops and whatever. You've got a guy who can also run the offense as, as Ryan did gets more comfortable with this every single year, the importance on having a secondary offensive guy diminishes. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. All right, quick break. We'll come back. There's a really interesting Quinn Ewers question as it relates to Justin Fields. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. Doug Maurice, Steven means, Talking questions from tech subscribers on Buckeye Talk. I had not thought about this question this way, Stephen. Maybe you have. From the 828, do you think Justin Fields' experience will shape how Ryan Day approaches the quarterback situation with Quinn Ewers? Justin Fields wasn't chosen to start at Georgia, and he transferred because he knew it could start somewhere else. Given how important Fields was today the last couple of years, does Ryan Day put extra effort into securing a spot for Ewers, a player with a similar pedigree to Fields? So, again... Ohio State benefited because Kirby Smart didn't play, didn't give the job, not give the job, because Justin Fields would have earned it in his own way. Justin Fields was not given the opportunity to be the starter at Georgia as a freshman. And I think it was reasonable, but clearly it affected the path of Georgia football and obviously Ohio State football. What, what they're getting is like, can, will Ryan Day try to learn from what Kirby Smart did, Stephen? And I guess I was going to say, learn from Kirby Smart's mistake. Like, I don't still, I still don't know that in the moment it was a mistake. I mean, the way it, the outcome, it was a mistake, but that's a second guess. That's in hindsight. In the moment, I think some people would, would say, no, in the moment, I knew it. You got to play the five star. He's just better than Jake Fromm. Take the lumps as a freshman. This guy's upside is worth it. You've got to play him. I think there are people who were saying that. 
and would say that now. But can Ryan Day learn from how that unfolded? Is it really a mistake to not play a freshman quarterback? Because we're getting to the point where it should be an expectation that a guy who's rated that high could come in and steal a job, but it's not the norm yet. It's not completely the norm. We've seen it at Alabama and Clemson. And even with Alabama, who was still the job in the second half of the national championship game. It's not like he had been starting all year. So I, I don't know if it's the fact that Justin didn't start as a true freshman or it was because in year two, it didn't seem like there was a legitimate chance for him to win the job. So I, Obviously, I still think that Quinn Ewers might come in here and steal the job from whoever ends up winning it in 2020 and be the starting quarterback as a true freshman. But I think that because of that, it's less about Quinn, because I don't think Quinn's going to have a problem if he doesn't start as a true freshman. I think if we get to year two and he's not the starting quarterback, then we have an issue and he's probably gone. I think, and I can't wait to ask Ryan Day about this. I've been trying to formulate how I'm going to ask him. It's just how, what has to happen for a guy to win a job and then six months later lose it? when he put the team in a position to potentially win a national title, because that's what happened in Clemson and Alabama. They both put their teams in positions to win national titles. They just didn't win it. And so a true freshman came in and stole their job. It happened at Ohio state. It happened to Todd Beckman with Terrell yeah. Pryor. Bingo. You know, like we've it's, seen it's just it. With that one, it just with that one, it didn't result in a team winning a national title the very next year, but yeah, we've seen it. So that's maybe the more of the question is just, when a guy comes in and he tied Beckman, you get to the national title or you get to the playoff, it's very clear you're one of the best teams in college football. You just weren't enough to get over the hump. What forces you to pull the trigger and go, this is no longer to make, because that's a drastic decision to make when you well, get that close and not actually get it done. But all Ryan Day is going to say is the best quarterback is going to play. That's all he's going to say to that question. Yeah. And, and, and I do think there's a difference between sometimes a quarterback loses a job and sometimes the other guy just wins it. And it's like, what would it take? Because whenever, I mean, there's only one scenario where the, the handoff to Quinn Ewers is perfect. And that's if CJ Stroud is the starting quarterback in Two 21 years. and 22, and then he goes pro. And he hands it to Quinn Ewers, who was the backup for one year. That's the only way where there's a handoff. Anything else is going to feel like the job was taken from somebody. Because yeah. if it's McCord, it's going to have to be taken from McCord because Quinn Ewers is not going to sit for two years. So he's going to have to take it from McCord before McCord wants it, before McCord wants to give it up. Or if CJ wants to stay for a fourth year, it's going to be taken from CJ, right? Mm -hmm. Or if Quinn, take, if Quinn wins it in 22, as a true freshman, he's going to be taking it from this year's starter who is going to be back in 22. So there are like four ways it's messy and only one way it's clean. And I guess the thing that is the ultimate question in the end, and again, I don't know that Ryan Day would answer it, but I'm not asking Ryan Day and asking Stephen Means, and I'm going to, and you have to answer it, otherwise you're yeah. off the podcast. <laughs> Should Ryan Day in the 2022 quarterback competition be taking the future into account? And all that means is, does Quinn, do you give, an, do you give Quinn Ewers an opportunity because you don't want him to leave? We want Quinn Ewers to be the starting quarterback for sure in 23 and 24. And the best way to ensure that is to make him the quarterback in 22. Even if in that moment, CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord or Jack Miller looks like they might deserve it a little bit more. Should you have 23 and 24 in mind when you make the 22 decision? Because what you're saying of like, hey, 
if Quinn has to sit for a year, he probably won't leave right away. Well, but then you're saying, but if he sits, but he's not going to wait to not play in 23. Quinn Ewers mm-hmm. is going to be starting for somebody in 23. So he would have to like know, right? If he sits in 22, he's going to have to know I'm starting in 23 or I think he's gone. So like, how do you guarantee that? He's not going to be like, oh, I'll fight for the job in the spring. It's like, I'm the guy or I'm out of here. And the best way to do that is to make him the guy in 22. So should you, should you think about the future with the 22 decision? Because in 21, you only have to think about 21. Because yours is coming and he's changing the future with his presence no matter what. So you, for 21, you just pick the best quarterback. But I don't know that that's what you actually do in 22. Yeah. Because that's the question. And that's the question that we'd have to try to form to ask Ryan Day. Ryan, in a quarterback competition, when you have a a transfer world where guys can leave, how much do you take the, the how your starting quarterback situation will unfold in the future into account for this battle this year? Do you think about the future or do you only think about who's the best guy to win the game? on September 4th or whatever. And again, he's still not going to answer it. It'd be fun to talk there, to him no, about no. it off the record. I, I don't know that he's yeah. going to answer it. There's a, there's, I don't know. I think there's a way uh, because there's, when you're talking about thinking about the future, you're not just thinking about who's on the field. You're thinking about how you're approaching quarterback recruiting as well. Because if you're pro, let's just say for the sake of the, your, your, your focus is Quinn Ewers is going to be your starting quarterback from 2023 to 2023 and 2024, 24, that's your starting quarterback. And you know that's going to be your starting quarterback. And we've kind of gone over this in different versions, different variations of this question. But you're probably not going to go get the number one quarterback in the country in 2023. Because right. he's, they're not. You're not gonna do, and they're actually not doing that. One, Arch Manning's not coming north. Coming north, that's not happening. But then also – the way they're approaching quarterback recruiting in 2023 is different. They're not trying to go just get the best. But, guy. but listen, but listen, but listen, at some point, what you're doing is no longer about what the future is going to be because Quinn yours is the peak. Like yeah. everything that you've done in quarterback recruiting was to lead to getting Quinn yours. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Oh, well you got Justin Fields and you played him and you ran this offense and that helped quarterback recruiting. And you got CJ Stroud late because he believed in your system. And then you pick Kyle McCoy. but it's like, at some point Quinn yours is not, you're not, you're not deciding what to do with Quinn Ewers because you want to make sure you get the next quarterback. You want to win two national championships with Quinn Ewers. That's the goal, I think. That's how you look about at, at this. Oh, we're getting the number one quarterback in the country. What do you hope happens while he's here? Ohio State wins two national championships. And what I'm saying is the best way to give yourself the best shot to win the national championship in 2023 and 2024 might be to start Quinn Ewers in 2022, whether he's the best guy or not. Because if you don't start him, you crack the door on him leaving. If you start him, you lock him in for three years. And if that's your goal, then it's not, not the most important thing. Even if you think Kyle McCord or CJ Stroud might give you a 13% better chance of winning in 2022? So basically, it's kind of the argument we were having with Michigan's quarterback situation. Do you just take the lumps now because you know down the road it's going to pay off in a major way? No, but, but I don't think – but J.J. McCarthy knows because it's not lumps. It's about you don't want him to leave. You can't let him leave. You. This is why it's a Justin Fields question. Yeah. Kirby Smart let the thing that couldn't happen happen. The guy left. 
So, so the number one, I'm not sure that that wouldn't be like Ryan Day's quarterback goals for the quarterback room for the next five years. Number one, make sure Quinn Ewers doesn't transfer. Is that not number one? Now, of course, I get it. Kyle McCord might wind up be, to be better than Quinn Ewers. Recruiting rankings aren't everything. But people talk about Quinn Ewers like he's the most natural thrower of the football they've ever seen in their lives. You can't let him leave. And that's what Georgia did. They let their guy leave. You know who didn't leave? Trevor Lawrence, because Clemson played him as a freshman. And they benched the starter who took him to the playoff the year before. Because they said, well, I don't know what's going now. They got a national championship out of it, too. He was the best man for the job. But they also guaranteed he wasn't going anywhere. I actually think if you look at it this way and you take any Justin Fields stuff into account and you think there's any possibility that Ryan Day is taking anything into account, Quinn Ewers is the starter by the middle of 2022 at the latest. So basically it's like you put all the four quarterbacks up on the board and you go from if you rank them one through four, which one are you most okay with leaving? Quinn Ewers is number four because you're least okay with him actually leaving. I mean, but the but like, is yeah. that even a discussion? This isn't. No. This is what Quinn Ewers is, right? He's different. Yeah. He's the golden child. I mean, like he gets treated differently. He's just a higher rated recruit with more upside than anybody else. You can't let the best quarterback recruit you've ever seen leave. So I do think it's an interesting way to look at it because Ryan Day knows what you know. Who's waiting? You know who's waiting. You know who's waiting? Lincoln <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Lincoln Riley is waiting. Oh, man, Quinn. Oh, man, they didn't start you. Oh, man, you know where you are, oh, man. I mean, you don't think that? You don't think Lincoln Riley uh, will do to Ryan Day what Ryan Day did to Kirby Smart? No, forget that. Kirby Smart does to Ryan Day what Ryan Day did to Kirby Smart. I mean, pays open arms, man. Quinn yours. But that's not overstating it to say that's the one thing that can't happen. It's got to be on the table for sure that, that it's definitely in the back of the minds if we can't let this kid leave. So if that means he's the starter in 2022, he's the starter in 2022. Okay. From the 512, who is the player on the roster who has no path to a regular role, but you would enjoy seeing play for another team? This is from John in Woodland, California. He says, I'd watch Mayan Williams with a good Mac team. Um, I don't know, Stephen, that they were going to get a better answer to yeah. – Mayan Williams than this. I think we're still all operating under the assumption that Julian Fleming is going to have an important role on the Ohio state offense in his career. Uh, if it starts to feel like that's not the case and listen, it's only a second year and his first year was a pandemic year and he has the two best receivers in college football ahead of him. So like, listen, like we are not, we have not reached the urgency point with Julian Fleming yet, but like, he's a guy that like, I just would like to see that guy get on the field and do something in games that matter. And if it would have to be somewhere else, then so be it. I don't think that's the case though. And then there's now, and then the other guy, I mean, the only other guy I want to see Kyle McCord play. Cause I think yeah, CJ's, I, I think CJ's going to win the job this year. And then we just talked about Quinn Ewers for 20 minutes. I want to see Kyle McCord play. And I think he'll wind up playing in the big 10 and he might wind up playing for a team that can beat Ohio state down the line, but I will wish Kyle McCord the best in that situation. Just like if CJ Stroud ends up leaving because of this Ewers conversation, you would wish, wish CJ Stroud the best. If he decides to go back and play for UCLA or go back to Los Angeles or wherever, or play in the big 10, same with Jack Miller. Um, but in terms of like a guy who feels like, he might not quite have the typical Ohio state level of talent, but man, he's a baller and like, he's awesome. 
and every Ohio State fan would root to him. I, I don't know that you're going to get a better answer than Mayan Williams because, frankly, he should be at Iowa State getting, you know, backing up Brees Hall, getting ready to take over that job. And instead, he's going to be here getting passed by Trayvon Henderson. Yeah, he's yeah, he's probably number one. Kyle McCord, yeah. The problem is if Kyle McCord was the same age as C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, I think he'd be the starting quarterback this year. That's what the – because I think he's the most talented of those three. Another guy I want to throw in here, we mentioned G. Scott. I'm Because hmm. what other team would he be a tight end on? Because the wide receiver room is so crazy. I'm at, like, yeah. What if he's at Oklahoma right now and he just was their starting X wide receiver or at Alabama or, you know, Clemson or anywhere else? It doesn't have to be a playoff team, just anywhere else where who a guy who was a number 66 player, the number 10 wide receiver in the country actually gets to play wide receiver instead of having to switch to tight end because one, it might be better for him here, but also the room is crazy. And you could probably say that about three or four guys in the wide receiver room every single year at this point. No, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. Um, and, and in a year or two, we may be saying that with like this next crop of guys that just feel like mm-hmm. maybe saying it with like Jaden Ballard, you know, like it's just getting crowded in there fast. Um, we, I mean, we might be saying it with like Caleb Burton. I don't know. I mean, like it's just, it's really crowded. So I'm interested about Jamison Williams this year, honestly, because he, you're right. He didn't do anything but run fast down the field every single game. And every so often they toss it to him. I'm interested to see how Alabama uses him now that he's going to be more than just a deep threat because he's not playing with the two best wide receivers in the country. Yeah. I'm a little less interested in him. I I'm, I wonder how good he's going to be. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about that because that actually leads into another question that I wanted to sort of talk about in, uh, in light of Jamison Williams from the 804. I know there has not been an, uh, Oh, I wanted to ask two questions before I forget to ask them. These are inspired from your latest retalkable series. And again, if you guys haven't listened to uh, last Friday's 2006 Ohio State, Michigan, one versus two retalkables, we certainly would point you toward that. We had a good time doing that one. Question, would you say Ted Ginn Jr. was used as good as possible during his time at Ohio State, factoring that he played during the Trestle era of offense, but yet he was an Olympic-level athlete who was a raw wide receiver. I can't help but think he was underutilized. And would Ginn start on this current team? This room is bonkers with talent, not just talent, but highly skilled, but very technical route runners. So uh, from the 804. So I do think those are two good questions. I do think the technical aspect of receivers under Brian Hartline is top shelf. I think you see that NFL guys talk about that the way Terry McLaurin and some of these Ohio state receivers, when they come out in the draft, that's going to help Chris Olave next year. They're technicians. They are great route runners. I don't know that that was the case. I think Santonio Holmes was a lot like that. I don't know that that was the case with Ted, but you would find room for Ted. <laughs> like the idea, like would Ted Ginn Jr. Start? Yeah. You would find room for him because he would be what Jamison Williams wasn't. And he would be the deep threat in a way that you could have Olave Wilson and Ginn on the field together. And if Ted Ginn Jr. was on this roster right now, Garrett Wilson would have stayed in the slot mm-hmm. and the outside receivers would be Olave and Ginn. Now listen, Olave is a great deep threat too, but, but you would use Ted in a different way. Um, and I just, I just think you would find that that speed is just, it's just next level. But I also, I mean, they still would do, I think a lot of the stuff, Stephen, that they did with Paris Campbell, where they just threw him a bunch of short stuff and let him go. And, and Ohio State did a lot of that under Trestle with Ted Ginn Jr. You know, that was Ryan Day's offense in 2018 that used Paris Campbell that way, 90 catches as a slot guy. Mm-hmm. Ted, would, Ted would not be a slot guy, but they'd be still throwing him a lot of short stuff because 
Paris is thicker and more physical, but they're both like super fast guys who don't have the world's greatest hands, I think. And so you want the ball in Ted's hand. So I think absolutely they would use Ted that way as a speed threat to complement Olave and Wilson. I think it's interesting in the day era. It's really interesting in the Urban Meyer era because the slot is less of a slot wide receiver, more of an H back where there is a lot more of those get it to him quick and see what he does with it. That's where like Curtis Samuel comes to mind. Like, could he, I mean, he'd have been perfect in the, in the urban Meyer type of offense, but I think you're right. I think he's just, I not want to say just, cause that's not all that, That's not a fair thing to say. He's Jamison Williams who just gets the ball more. And I do think, and, I, and I, I've cited this many times because it stands out in my mind so much. Tim May, the legendary Ohio state beat writer who I just saw, I was down there uh, interviewing Olympic an Olympic athlete from Ohio state for a story. I hope to write. Uh, before the Olympics start. And I was waiting to talk to her. She did a news conference and I was waiting to talk to her off to the side. She's from Cleveland, Adelaide Aquilina, the shot putter. Um, and I was waiting to talk to her and Tim was like interviewing her with a video camera. And he said, Hey, uh, you know, one more for me. And then he said, I just want more quickie. And then he said, actually one more. And I said, Tim, that's three, one more. It's like, she's, I don't even know what he's doing with it. He's doing it for Letterman row. He's like, got his little video camera up. It's like, Tim, can I get a question in to the athlete from Cleveland? Like, is that possible before she gets on a plane for Tokyo? So I love Tim. Tim, no, I'm just giving Tim crap only because he's the world's greatest beat writer. Tim's, Tim's quickies are really 75 more questions. Yeah. And it's like, I do the same thing. But then when I do it, people should yell at me too. But it's like, Tim, I'm trying to ask the Cleveland person a question. So Tim, who, you know, back in the day, beat writers just like didn't, uh, express their opinions as the way like everybody does now, which I think is better. We're experts. We can have opinions. Um, wrote a thing for the dispatch. Like, I think that was like a column and it was like how they don't throw the ball to Ted Ginn Jr. On the move that every time Ted Ginn Jr. Catches the ball, he's standing still. still. And it was like the, like the thing that Tim like had the greatest opinion about that. Like he was so like fired up about, he had to write an opinion column on it. It was like, dear God, throw Ted Ginn Jr. A slant. And it was just like, <laughs> and it was like, Yeah. Let him catch it while he's being fast. So, you know what? I mean, he was an exceptional, rare. I haven't seen anybody like him. You guys listen to this, haven't seen anybody like him. I mean, it's just like, guys, that's the thing at Ohio State. There are guys that there's great talent every year, but there's some guys that you never replicate it. There's never going to be a guy like Braxton Miller. There's never going to be a guy like Ted Ginn Jr. I don't think they maximized it. They didn't, they didn't maximize it, maximize it. Um, but also, I do think in the NFL, Ted has had an incredibly long, NFL career, but he's never really been a number one receiver either. I thought he was a little overdrafted because I never thought he was a number one receiver. I think he's like the perfect number two receiver. But when you have him paired with a guy like Santonio Holmes, it's like when the going gets tough, we're going to Santonio Holmes, who does everything. And then, by the way, if you don't have a safety over top Ted Ginn Jr., we're going to hit you with 70 yard bombs all day because he's 10 steps faster than everybody on the field. I think that's the ideal pairing, but I would have liked to see it and they would have figured it out. All right, let's do an Olympics question. From the 440, what event are you looking forward to most at the Olympics? And we'd like to let Stephen veer off uh, into basketball topics uh, at times. And so whatever your answer is to this, Stephen, I would then like to have a little three-minute discussion about the fact that the men's Olympic basketball team has opened its exhibition season by losing to Nigeria and Australia. But is there a particular Olympic event that you're excited to see? 
I always like watching the um, swimming and gymnastics just because I never watched swimming and gymnastics, and Simone Biles is awesome. I mean, she's awesome. Anybody who can flip themselves in the air like that as much as she does is is awesome. Um, and there's another lady in the, in the swim competition. Show. I can't remember her name right now, but I'm always interested in those events. Um, I was excited to see the track events, but now she's not running anymore, So, which is unfortunate. But it's, it goes back to what we're talking about with the, 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 the NIL stuff with the Tattoo 5 and Reggie Bush, where it's like, you know, it, it shouldn't be a rule, but it is. So you should probably follow the rule. Um, but, yeah, let's let's get into the basketball team. Um, let me let me do this and I'll interrupt you yeah. before we do this. So Simone Biles is one of the best athletes on Earth. She's yeah. from Columbus. Yeah. She moved to Houston. She was raised by her grandparents. She calls mom and dad. So her grandfather, her father is a huge Ohio State and Cleveland Browns fan. And uh, I had known that had been out there. And again, she was at when the Indians or when the Cleveland baseball team hosted the uh, Major League All-Star game two years ago and they had the celebrity softball game. Simone Biles was one of the people who was there. And when I wasn't busy trying to talk to J.R. Smith, because it was like, I don't even know why we were so enamored with J.R. Smith in that moment. But it was like, J.R. Smith is here. There were like 30 people around J.R. Smith. And then it was like, oh, and over there is the greatest athlete in America. And like Simone Biles was standing over there. So I talked to Simone Biles and I wrote a story about her. I want to write something more about her before the Olympics, because she really is. I mean, like Ohio can absolutely claim Simone Biles. And she's just I mean, like she there are a couple people like on the earth when you see a person who is not just the best at what they do is the best who's ever done the thing they're doing. And she is like, I mean, she's like the Jesse Owens of, of gymnastics. She's the, sure. you know, she's the, the, the Jim Thorpe. I mean like Jim Thorpe or like, like just like an all time, all timer and her physicality. And she is, when I talked to her a couple of years ago, we talked a lot about her injuries and battling through injuries and like the, the gymnastics is brutal. It is a physically brutal sport because the demands you put on your bones and your joints um, to do what these athletes do is, is amazing. And I, I don't know that anybody listening to this will ever see someone better than Simone Biles. Now, again, the humans evolve and everybody gets better at everything, but she's Michael Jordan, man. Like I hope, I hope every, I think everybody realizes that. Um, but I will not, I will not be missing a thing that Simone Biles does. And it is my dream uh, to once the Olympics are over, before the start of football season to interview her dad who about the Buckeyes and the Browns and, and Oh, oh by the way, raising uh, the greatest gymnast <laughs> in the history the of the sport. <laughs> so, um, so that, so let's, let's not forget that Simone Biles, you may call Ohio's own. All right. What's with the basketball team. Okay. Here's, let me say this before we really get into this. One thing we have to remember is, the rest of the world's gotten better at basketball since the dream team went over there. So we can't lose our minds every time team USA loses to an international team, because unlike in 1992, when it was 11 hall of famers against a bunch of guys who probably have day jobs, there are NBA players on these other teams. Australia has a bunch of NBA players on their team. Nigeria Nigeria have like two. They've got, they got like, Three or four, but then also their head coach is Mike Brown, former you know Cleveland uh, Cleveland Cavaliers head coach and currently an assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors, so they're pretty quality. And speaking of some connections, Tony Skin, the newest assistant coach of the Ohio State basketball team, played for the Nigeria team in 
2012 Olympics on that team that lost to USA when Carmelo had like 39 points in 12 minutes. And if you go look up, there is a video of Tony Skin crossing James Harden. And I don't mean crossing him where it's like, okay, no, he made James Harden fall. And then he made the shot. So there's his credibility for why he should be on Ohio State's coaching staff this year. But I think take that into extent, but then also this team was formed two weeks ago. They got the training camp on July 3rd or July 4th. And then also there are three players who are on this Team USA team who are currently playing in the NBA Finals. So I'm not going to get all up in arms because they lost some exhibition games when they've been together for 10 days. I still think they're going to win the gold medal and people need to relax. How long has Australia been together? Are you paid by USA basketball? <laughs> what <laughs> a litany <laughs> of excuses that was. I mean, I'm not freaking out, but let's not pretend. So Australia, here are the guys I heard of that are on Australia. Joe Ingles, yep. Aaron Baines, Patty mm-hmm. Mills, Matthew Delavadova, Dante Exum. Matisse Teibel. Yeah. So, okay, I, I, I get it, but, like, still, I don't know. No, you're that, right. Yeah, when you see a starting line that says Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, and Bam Adebayo, you should probably still win that game. I'm not disagreeing with that. And, I mean, obviously, a lot of guys d- opted not to play. Uh, yeah. They don't have a point guard. I, I don't know why they don't have a point guard. Like, could they get Chris Paul go straight from the finals to be on yeah, Team USA? Because they have Damian Lillard He's trying to run the point. He's, he's not a, a point guard. Yeah, that's the problem is with that position is most guys aren't actual true point guards anymore. They're scorers. So Chris Paul was kind of the last of a dying breed in that situation. Um, Michael Conley is kind of a true point guard as well, but he's never really had a Team USA experience as far as playing in a World Cup or anything. But that's part of it. I mean, but it is what it is. I don't. I think once Devin Booker and Drew Holiday get there, and I think Chris Middleton's on the team as well, I think they'll be fine. They're still going to win the gold medal. It's just not – the days of Team USA blowing everybody out by 40 are over. But, but they lost. I know they, they don't lose. have to beat everybody by 40, but they actually lost when they're trying to win. Listen, Damian Lillard is unbelievable. He's, he's one of the five best players in the NBA probably. Yeah. I just think he's miscast as the guy who's going to be in charge of running the offense all the time, and they're going to put a lot on Kevin Durant. They are going to put a lot on Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of it's – it's a little bit of a weird team. It's just the, the fit of it uh, leads me to think that this may be more than a blip. And um, that I don't, you know, whatever the, if they, if you thought they had a 95% chance of winning the gold medal, I think that that percent chance has at least gone down a little bit. So um, I'll tell you what I need it though. Cause you know, that's, I mean, people started opting out in what, 2002, 2003, 2004, people didn't want to play anymore. And then they lost and got a bronze medal in 2004. And then people, the pride came back and all of a sudden in 2008, they were blowing everybody out again. So maybe they need this. Maybe every 20 years when, Players get kind of get sick of doing it every four years. You need somebody to come show you, hey, you can get beat for everybody to buy in again. All right. I'll enjoy the Olympics. I hope you guys are yeah. watching too. And I will have at least hopefully one, uh, one Ohio State-related Olympic story before things get started. From the 518, does the uncertainty and fresh faces of 2021 make this season more fun to anticipate than last year? I think it does. I do think the fresh face thing is, is an interesting question. Um, you know, it was weird. Like in 2000, I, 2015 was so weird that like they should have been building a dynasty, but it was sort of like, it was all the same guys, you know, spring practice, spring football that year was kind of boring, you know, like you kind of knew what the deal was. And it was like, JT was coming back from injury and there was Cardale. I mean, the, actually, actually the, like the, the, the activities 
at halftime of the spring game, I think we're good. I think that's when like Cardale was like dead. Braxton was running against guys. I can't remember, but like, I just, I understand what the, what the texter is asking that sometimes you can get too familiar with the team. And usually in college, that's not the issue because things change every year. But um, Justin Fields was so reliable. I do think a quarterback competition, listen, Stephen, like if the quarterback play is not good, people are not going to be like, wow, this is so fresh and interesting. Our quarterback threw three interceptions against Oregon. It's going to be like, dear God, could we have the boring guy that we knew was good? So uh, you want fresh faces as long as you're convinced that they're going to be good, which is almost always the case at Ohio State. So since that is the, the case, I can understand like people being excited for Travion Henderson, for the quarterback, for Jack Sawyer, right? And this, this recruiting class is so highly anticipated. And then you throw in guys like Taraja Mitchell and some guys who haven't really been on the field much before. I get it. People like fresh stuff. Fresh stuff brings anxiety because you're not sure yet, but you only want the anxiety to last for three games. And then you want it to go away because now you know what you have, because that's how nine and three Doug was born. You weren't really sure. It's a new head coach. It's a new defensive staff, but the same defensive players. It's a quarterback who couldn't win a job somewhere else. It's all this new. And you're going, ah, I don't know. And then they didn't really – they played Cincinnati and FAU. They didn't really play anybody to start the season. And then they went to Nebraska and they kicked their butts. And then all of a sudden we're doing videos going, it's going to get boring. They're going to blow everybody out and go to the playoff. So you kind of hope after the Oregon game this year, whatever anxiety you have about C.J. Stroud or Travion Henderson or the secondary or anywhere else goes away because – that Oregon game, the more than the Minnesota game, that Oregon game, they go in there, maybe they win that game by three touchdowns and you walk away and we're leaving Ohio Stadium going, it's going to get boring. They're going to blow everybody out and they're going to the playoff. So that's that's the key. To, that's the cool thing about football, about co- college sports in general is when it's you like the freshness because you like the new anxiety, but you also want it to wear off very, very quickly, especially in football. It's funny, uh, Stephen. We're putting a, I'm putting a bracket together of the best Ohio State wins of the last 20 years. And I sent the games out to the texters this week of the ones that I'm proposing. I found 48. And I'll tell you, it was interesting. I, uh, it was not hard. It, like there are, Ohio State plays a lot, of, a lot of great games. As much as a lot of games are boring, you go through over the last 20 years, there are some exciting games. And like, not every, I, I'm using best win. So that doesn't always mean close, but if it's not a close win, it better be like kicking the butt of like a really good opponent. Beating a bad opponent by a lot doesn't, doesn't do much for me. And obviously yeah. Ohio State still does a lot of that. But I did not have a ton, for instance, 2019, I did not have a ton of games from 2019 or 2020. Now, obviously, the 2020 Clemson win was in there, but it's kind of a weird regular season for a lot of reasons. 2019, the Michigan win was in there when Justin got hurt and then came back on the field. And then the Wisconsin comeback in the Big Ten championship game. But that 2019 regular season was pretty boring, right, with like some fresh faces and stuff. So I do think like fresh faces are good, um, but I just I'm hoping, you know, for some good games. It's like you want. I think fans want the opponents to be good enough to give Ohio state a little bit of a struggle, but not good enough to beat them. And sometimes we don't fall into that. So I, I, I do understand. I think, I think Travion Henderson is really a guy that people are excited to see. And given that last year was so uncertain at running back and then Trey Sermon kind of came out of nowhere. I just, I think what Travion Henderson offers 
is number one on that list. And then when you run through these young receivers like this, everybody loves Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but I think people can't wait to see like with Marvin Harrison Jr. gets on the field a little bit or what Jackson Smith Najigma is going to do in a bigger role or when a Mekak Buka gets on the field. So I get it. Um, and fresh faces. Uh, Ohio State is basically in the best situation for, for a fan base in that fresh faces are how college football works. But most of the time, the next guy up is as good as the guy that left. So there's not anxiety, right? That you don't have to pine for a guy because most of the time you're able to replace him. And that a lot of places you don't want fresh faces because you're not sure about them. But Ohio State usually are. A couple of things. One, I think Chase Young is why that season wasn't as boring as it should have been because we were more focused on he's getting five sacks every game. I think what's interesting about this one is Ohio State's not the only place where there's like a fresh face restart. All the important teams in college football outside of Oklahoma are kind of doing the same thing. And so it's not no one has to be in a rebuilding year sort of situation because Alabama, Clemson, uh, Notre Dame, to an extent, is also doing Georgia. Everybody's kind of on even footing because everybody lost most of the reasons for why we were watching college football basically for the last three or four years here. All right, let's do uh, a question about playoff structure, which which I think is interesting, and I think it's hard. From the 614, hello, I had a quick question for the Buckeye Talk crew. How does playoff expansion change yearly expectations for this team? Doug used to discuss how the expectation year in and year out was to simply compete for a spot in the playoff, and once there, show that you belong on the field. I'm curious to see how that expectation changes now that the team is practically guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. Do they have to make the final four for the season to be viewed as a success? Would love to hear your thoughts. This is the tough part of this 12 team playoff idea, Stephen, that I, we absolutely do you agree with the premise that absolutely every single year, Ohio state will be expected to make the 12 team playoff and any year they don't make the 12 team playoff will be disappointing almost to the point of unacceptable. Is that how you think we will view that? Yes. Because of the way they're recruiting, the way they're playing on the field. Yes. They need to be in the playoff at bare minimum. Which is a tough way to live, right? Like, and I don't disagree. I think that's right. But I don't, we're not quite there with the 14 playoff. Like it's, it's the expectation I think every year. But I don't think the years they missed the playoff, I don't know if people were throwing stuff against the wall. Like if they miss mm-hmm. a 12-team playoff, it's going to feel like what happened? It's going to have to be disastrous for it not to happen. And so then you're going to approach a season with the idea of like, well, no matter what, they're going to have a chance to win a title. Even if they lose two games most of the time, they'll still probably make the 12-team field. So then I do think it means that if you're not a top four seed, you have to at least win that first round game. I think you have to be in the final eight. And that like even making the 12, because the 12 team playoff will be assumed. So then to have to be happy, you would have to at least make the final eight. And then sometimes you're going to be like a three that loses to a six or in a four or five game or, you know, whatever. So I don't know that people would demand that they make the final four, but I think 12 is absolutely assumed and eight, making the final eight is what has to happen for it to be viewed as any kind of successful year. I think I agree with that, except I think the expectation is you win the Big Ten every year, which means you're getting a bye automatically. And so that's one less game you have to play. So if you're just getting into the playoff and losing in that eight, in that group of eight, that the eight who are left, 
then is that really an accomplishment just because you got out of the first round technically? So I think in a world where when you're all the things I just list, listed before, you're winning the Big Ten and you have a bye week for that first, you have a bye the first week, you should probably win their, you, you win your first game and get into the Final Four, which is why it's not unreasonable, even if it seems crazy, to say Ohio State should be reaching the Final Four every single year. And then it gets interesting. Okay, did you get a bad matchup or did – the, a Clemson 2019 situation happened. That's fine, but you should be a, in a situation where you're getting a bye and then you're get, you're winning your first playoff game. I do think you make a good point because like buys aren't fun. People don't walk around the streets and like yeah. celebrate a bye. So if you're the two seed and you lose to the seven, it's gonna be like what? Huh. What was the that? Was, you wasted the bye. What was the point of you having it? And that seven. Like if you're the two seed and you lose to the three, it's like, right. I mean, like when in a 14 playoff, everybody you play is good. Right. They're going to be, I mean, sometimes you'll, you'll have it. Like sometimes Bama is going to be the seven. It's be like, Oh great. We got Bama as the seven, right. And then stuff might happen. But most of the time I do think Ohio state fans will feel like, well, if they're, if Ohio state's a two or a three or a four, they're better than that five, six, seven, eight, they've got to win that game. So, so, so I think you might be right. It is going to be, there's a part of this, and I think this is what everybody has been saying, and we're going to end up talking about it a lot more, that it opens up the field for everybody else, but for, I think, the four teams that have been making the playoff, it just it's going to be so easy to make the playoff that mm. it's going to reduce some of the anxiety that actually is fun anxiety to the season. And then to have a season where, like, oh, you definitely you were definitely going to make the, the 12. You made it. And then you didn't play that well and you lost. I, I, I do. I do think there will be years where it'll be a really talented Ohio state team that it feels like they didn't accomplish much because they made the playoff and then didn't do anything in it. And they made the playoff, maybe even not playing that great. Maybe they lost a stupid game. They lost a Purdue or an Iowa game and it didn't hurt them. It just affected their seed. And then like they lost, like they made it, but it didn't mean anything. But I also, I mean, people will have to adjust their, adjust their expectations. I guess it's like in the NFL. It's like if your team makes it as a wild card and then you lose the wild card game, I don't, people aren't like, yes, we made the playoffs. Well, we lost the wild card game, but at least we made it. I mean, like there's an expectation of more. So I do think we're all going to have to sort of reset how we think about some things. Um, all right. We're going to take another quick break and we'll come back. I think we might end it with one Michigan question. Maybe another extra one. We'll see how it goes, but we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen. Well, I think we'll wrap it up with this one. It's a good Michigan question from the 937. A few of my friends and I had an in-depth discussion last night, specifically about when Michigan's next likely chance at beating Ohio State as a favorite will be. So really the issue here is when will Michigan be favored to beat Ohio State and then actually get it done? I said 2028 when Mike Hart is Michigan's head coach, Ryan Day leaves for the NFL after two or three national championships and the wheels fall off Ohio state for one or two classes. Hart finally gets his win over Ohio state as a three point favorite in his third season after going Oh, and six combined in his playing and coaching career before that. It seems so ridiculous, but is it really in this theory? I see day leaving around 2025 or 26. What's more likely my theory or the likelihood that Michigan wins one between now and 2028 as the favorite. So I looked this up. We did a post on cleveland.com 
in 2019 that had the betting lines. Our guy, Rich Exner, who's great at this stuff, that had the betting lines. We know Ohio State was a nine-point favorite against Michigan in 2019. And the okay, so 2011 was the was the weird blip year, but before that, the only time that Michigan had been favored against Ohio State since 2004 was in 2018, when Ohio State was coming off the giving up 50 to Maryland and almost losing, Mm -hmm. and uh, the year they had the Purdue loss, and Michigan was rolling, and Michigan was a four and a half point favorite in Columbus. And then Ryan Day dropped a bomb on Don Brown's lap. And we all know that. And so here's the thing. Like, I don't think it's preposterous, Stephen, like what the texts are outlined, because I think we're just getting to the point where they're just on different tiers. And it's like, oh, I mean, when's the next time we think that? I don't know. Like what like that Iowa is going to be favored. That's the team that Nathan always compares Michigan to. When's the next time that Iowa is going to beat Ohio state while being favored against Ohio state? I just, I would say, I don't know. Never. Like I, like I, I think you can push this off into, into the future as much as you want, because again, Steven, okay. Ryan Daly is, we're just talking about, okay, well then what if Marcus Freeman takes over or Luke fickle or Matt Campbell or somebody else that's got juice, Ohio state's going to get another great coach. And I just don't know that Michigan will ever recruit at Ohio state's level. And I like the idea, when will Michigan beat Ohio state? Listen, Michigan's going to beat, right. Michigan's going to get them eventually, but to beat them as a favorite that like everybody gets upset sometimes, especially in a rivalry game. That's more likely to me than like a scenario where everybody in the country agrees, you know, who's better Michigan. And then Michigan's like, yes, we are better. And we accept that. And we beat them. That is like, I could see that being another 20 years, Steven. And it's less, I know you just listed off a lot of reasons for why Ohio state's not going away, but I think it's less about Ohio state and more about because of things on Michigan's side of the table, 2018, let's, we brought that up. What all had to happen for Michigan to be considered the favorite there? Ohio State basically falling apart after the Purdue game and then allowing Nebraska in a in a, in Maryland to just go crazy on them. But then also they couldn't score against Michigan State. Those are my first four games I covered here. But then also Michigan was rolling after an early season loss. So yeah, it made sense in that moment to put, make Michigan the favorite. One team was spiraling after a loss. The other team kind of lost early and got back on the bike and started rolling again. So it made sense. I don't know when that's going to happen again. Even if Ohio State loses this year, I don't think we're going to come out of that thinking this team is spiraling when we watch their next two or three games heading into that Michigan game. While with Michigan, I mean, we just – I don't know if this pause up. We, we just did a pod where we broke down kind of the schedules a little bit as we were ranking the the, the who we thought was going to finish wearing the Big Ten that will be out Monday. I think – None of us looked at that schedule and thought that Michigan was just going to get the ball rolling at any part of that season to where they'd even have momentum heading into that Ohio State game, even if it is in Ann Arbor this year. And that's going to be the case every single season where even if Ohio State loses, we expect them to get right back on the horse and be a national title contender. I don't know if anybody feels the same way about Michigan, and I don't know when that's going to change. Because I think two things have to happen for Michigan to be favored against Ohio State. 
Ohio State has to go down and Michigan has to go up. Right. If, like, I do think Michigan can be better, right? If Jim Harbaugh leaves and they get Matt Campbell or, or whoever else, right? They get a good coach. And it's the thing that I, we've talked about multiple times. If Jim Harbaugh is the transitional coach and the next guy takes them higher, I still think Michigan's peak in modern college football is below Ohio State's peak. I just don't think they're going to recruit nationally to the level that Ohio State does. I think it's just sort of, where, what football is in the university, geographically, Ann Arbor versus Columbus, like just multiple things that Ohio State is just, uh, this sounds weird, but maybe not. It's just more of a football school than Michigan is, like in, yeah. in multiple ways. And so Michigan can't just peak. They also need Ohio State to come down a peg. And I don't know what that looks like. Of course, we know what it looks like. It's a bad hire. But they just replaced one of the 10 best coaches probably in college football history with a guy who had never been a coach at any level. He had never been the head coach of a middle school team. And in two years, people are like, I think he's better than the legend. So, like, if you did go down a peg going from a three-time national champion to a guy who never had been a head coach, who Ohio State fans had not even heard of, who had only been an assistant here for two years, if you didn't go down then, you're telling me that the transition from Ryan Day to the next guy is going to be the one that's disastrous? Like, that's going to be the thing yeah. that's going to kill the program? Like, that just doesn't sound right to me. They're going to get somebody good. And so the thing that was different is, we all know it was the transition. It was Ryan Day taking over Urban Meyer's structure. I guess if Ryan Day left and you brought in a guy who just was all his guys and it, it's not promoting an assistant and you lose the fluidity of the Meyer today transition. And it's like Matt Campbell, Oh, Matt Campbell just brings all his assistants from Iowa state. He brings his recruiting guy. He brings his strength coach. And then you find out, Oh, you know what? Like these guys were good at Iowa state, but they're not good enough for Ohio state. That's certainly possible, but, who but does I, would, that? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't. No. I mean, that happens a lot of places, Steven. That, that's what, that's more normal than this. You bring right. in a new staff, a new head coach comes in, and the old staff gets flushed out. You keep one or two guys. You've got to keep at least one. You keep one or two assistants, but everybody else changes. But usually you do that because the guy before stunk, right? Bingo. And he's getting fired. So we don't, we don't think Ryan Day is going to stink. We think the scenario where Ryan Day leaves is them still being so good that he gets a good NFL job. And then I think you probably might tell the next head coach, listen, like, you can bring in some of your guys, but you have to keep a lot of what's happening here because what's happening here is good. And so I would think you could establish something where Matt Campbell or Luke Fickle or Marcus Freeman is like, yeah, cool. I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel here. And you kind of keep rolling. So it's why it's so hard, Stephen, because I can see the Michigan part of it where Michigan takes a step up, but it is hard for me to envision exactly what it looks like where Ohio State takes the step down which is why i asked the question like the who does that because you and you said it it's usually a guy leaves because he stinks rarely do you see it where i mean you're, of course you bring in the new guys the guys before weren't getting the job done 
Oklahoma didn't do that either. Lincoln Riley stepped in for Bob Soups when he retired, and he didn't just gut the entire staff there because why would you do that? Oklahoma was a pretty quality program there and was consistently, you know, playing in BCS bowls. Obviously, that the BCS doesn't exist, but to the point of what I'm making, and you know, competing to win the Big 12 every single year. So you keep the ball rolling in that situation. So the only way it happens is if Ryan Day falls off a cliff. Literally, he this program just takes a dip because Ryan Day stops doing the things that are leading to success. And that that would be idiotic to think that that would happen at this point. It's one of those things, again, I think I, I think that we've talked about multiple times is if Michigan can get to the point of being the in a rivalry the way what Auburn does to Alabama, mm-hmm. where Auburn is beating Alabama two or three times out of ten. But they're not usually doing it as the favorite. I mean, I don't have that betting line in front of me, but most of the time, as good of a program Auburn is, Alabama's almost always better. So when Auburn's winning, they're winning as a feisty underdog in a rival. Even the year they had Cam Newton, I think oh, Alabama was still the favorite heading into that game. So, like, it, it's a different question than when will Michigan beat Ohio State again? Because I could envision that. I could envision a world without much of a stretch where – Ohio State, instead of winning 15 out of 16 in the rivalry, wins 7 out of 10, right? Wins 7 out of 10, wins 6 out of 10, wins 8 out of 10, instead of winning 10 out of 10. That I can envision, but I think on almost all of those games, Ohio State will still be favored because they're going to have more talent, and that's what you're going to go by. So, um, And I just don't think the coaching is going to fall off a cliff. So I think Michigan – I mean, Michigan would take that. I was going to say I think Michigan is going to have to settle for that. I don't know that we will ever see this rivalry get back to equal footing. So I think Michigan and I think Michigan might know that, know that. And I don't even know that Michigan fans are at, they're not asking for equal footing. They're like, could we win one? Could we win one? And then we'll figure out the rest. So I think that's where we are. And that's why the texture, I love when people put a little twist on a question to make it more difficult. Because when will Michigan beat Ohio State? We've answered that. When will Michigan beat Ohio State as a favorite? Like, I'll say maybe what I said about, like, when will Rutgers beat Ohio State? Never. And then when it happens, you can yell at my grandchildren because I, I don't know that I'm going to be around for it. For the sake of just maybe throwing the date out there, 2025 is just interesting depending on what Michigan's quarterback recruiting looks like the next two cycles when Quinn isn't here and a lot of this talent leaves. But then again, Ohio State might just go get the next five star quarterback. No, but I, I, I don't. No, but I, but like that's what, but like I don't think that's true because like we would have said, yeah. okay, well the Ohio State's 2019 recruiting class. Oh, if they don't win a national title with those guys, yeah. what's going to happen? It's like I don't know. They're going to just keep doing what they do. <laughs> and the fair. other thing is, as much as like the transfer portal, as much as people, as much as people. I think argue that transfers and NIL and that kind of thing are going to lead to parity. I still question that because I still think the best of the best will find a way to make those things work for them. And I think Ohio state will make NIL work for them. And in the past, what you would have counted on was a recruiting miss at a certain position, whether it's quarterback, whether it's an offensive line group or something that blows a hole in a team for a year or two but now you have instant patches and Mm -hmm. Ohio state. Like you can't, even if they, I mean, they did, they missed on quarterback. They had Tate Martell as the quarterback of the future here. And Matthew Baldwin, they missed on quarterback as bad 
They missed that quarterback. They missed that running back. They missed that left guard. They've missed that linebacker. And every single time, here we are again. They they fill it up with a great player who can just you know you're, you're good. It's not even an issue anymore. They missed at quarterback about as bad as a major power could miss at quarterback. Yeah. That that they with the, all the stuff. I mean, even Dwayne was luck in a lot of ways. They had like a really yeah. bad two or three year cycle of recruiting quarterbacks there, but they were in a situation where they wound up with Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin as the obvious answers. And then they just fixed it. And in the old days, we would have just experienced an Ohio state dip and Michigan might've gotten them. We, we might've seen what that looked like if they were trying to play with Tate Martell. Well, listen, I also think there's a world where Tate wound up as a very competent college quarterback in the right system. I mean, the guy does have talent. He just got completely off track. So some of it is some things happened to him. Clearly some things he brought on himself, but they weren't going to go six and six with Tate, but like we've already seen how hard it's going to be for Ohio state to fall off a cliff. Cause frankly, they probably should have fallen off a cliff during that transition. And instead Ryan day just went out and got the second best quarterback in the country and said, do you want to come play here? And he was like, cool. And they automatically fixed it. And that was it. And that's what Ohio state's going to continue to do. There's not going to be an opening. There's not going to be an opening for Michigan. So I don't know when they'll be favored. All right. That'll do it. We got more podcasts coming Thursday. We'll do something related to recruiting. We might do some uh, blue chip talent evaluations of the recruitment, looking at current rosters around the country and where Ohio state fits in. We've gotten some ideas. And then Friday, again, we'll talk about the tattoo five Terrell Pryor. Um, that'll be our Buckeye fly effect. And we'll then we'll get into sort of the news of this week of uh, those guys asking for their records to be reinstated. And then next Monday, Stephen, Nathan, and I will be dropping as Stephen alluded to, we've already recorded it. We will release our predictions, the three of us for the big 10 season where everybody will finish in the two divisions who will win the big 10 title. That will be coming next Monday. Cause next month, next, next week is when we start rolling. So a great time to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. Again, the national college football podcast. It's called the national. No, what's it called? It's called the college football playoff show. So in wherever you listen to podcasts, just that's what you should search for college football playoff show with Doug Maurice. I made them put my name in the title because I have a huge ego. We're working on changing this to Buckeye Talk with Doug Maurice, but my my agents are in negotiations. So Stephen is already wrinkling his face. He will not let that up. And Stephen has transferred. Stephen has entered the podcast transfer portal. <laughs> Doug put his name on the show. I'm out. <laughs> See, our little quarterback room was fine. And yep. then this, this whole name, image, and likeness thing, people start looking out for themselves. And teams explode. So if you want to listen to it, um, Shahan is great. We have a really good structure and flow to that show. We have a really fun first episode. And I think we'll just get better as time goes on. So we certainly would invite you because if you are listening to this right now, if these words are hitting your ears, you are the reason we can even attempt something like this. If you guys didn't listen to this, they would, we wouldn't be trying to start a different podcast. So thanks to everybody who makes Buckeye Talk a part of their week college football playoff show with Doug Maurice. Look for that wherever you find podcasts. All right. Good job, Stephen. That was a fun discussion. We love you guys sending in the questions for Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>